0: Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God given destiny. You know, we've been sharing a a, uh, a series, and this is the last part of the series, on spiritual family, which is what the church is. The ecclesia, the called out ones, we come together as a church family. We are a body of believers. We're all interconnected. We are non-independent of the others. We all are a part of each other. That's one of the things that we discovered about the purpose, the power, and the purpose of men yesterday and um, in our study with with Dr. Miles Monroe is that we are all interconnected. Even husbands and wives, they become one. They become one flesh. They're no longer two, but they are interconnected. They're joined together. And... uh, and 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 but for a purpose. Women have their purpose. And and uh, by the way, and this is not in my messages, but this is just a little nugget you can take home with you. When the Bible talks about men in the book of Genesis, it specifically says, and that God made, he says, and we and, and they made men, men in their image. In, in the image of God, he made. Then, male and female, he made them. So when the Bible talks about man, it's not talking about gender, gender man. It's talking about man, the atomic race. So when you see that, understand that women, you're not excluded. You are very much included in the sonship of God, a part of the family where we are the sons. We're joint heirs with Jesus. You're no less. Than anybody else, you are, you are every bit as equal in the eyes of God when it comes out. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, we know that. But anyway, we are a spiritual family. Now, uh, last week we talked about, uh, you know, several things dealing with, with family, and I can't even go back to last week. I said, it was back then, and, and here we are this week. But I wanted to talk to you this morning, how is the family supported? You know, it's, it's for, for the natural family, the earthly family, there has to be a support system. There has to be some means of income and outgo and, and, and things to provide for the needs of your family. And so it is with the church. A lot of people think sometimes all we do is the pastor prays and God just pours it down and everything's taken care of and we really don't have any responsibility to it that God does it all because after all, we walk by faith, we live by faith, but we have to have faith as pastors that God is going to speak to you, you will be obedient to God and that we will be able to carry forth the ministries that God has put before us. We don't want to just just uh, provide just for the family. God has called us together, and He has given us opportunity to sow into the ministry, to sow into what we do outside the four walls of the building. Remember what I said uh, last week or the week before. We are we are a church not because we're in this building. This church, all it does is all this building does is house the church. The church is the people. We are a spiritual family. So how does God provide? I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. And I love this passage of scripture here because Paul is talking about some believers in Macedonia. And they're very, very poor. As a matter of fact, they're going through a very terrible time themselves. There's famine. They're having a tough time. But these people have such a heart for God and such a heart for the ministry that they, they absolutely insist that the Apostle Paul allow them to sow into the needs of the people in Jerusalem. Now, Paul and and the Apostles are taking up offerings to take to Jerusalem for the the believers there who are going through a terrible time of not only persecution, but drought and all of those things. They're having a really, really rough time. The Macedonians, they forget about their situation, and their situation might be as equally as bad as what's going on in Jerusalem, but they have such a heart for the ministry— That they want to give. And this is what Paul says in in verse uh, 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But just as we excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in what? In the grace of giving. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now, what is grace? Does Anybody know what grace is? It's the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, where we get the word charisma, charismatic, but it, it actually means the outflow of the goodness of God, the generosity of God. So when we, we are involved in the grace of giving, we're, we're, we're involved in the outflow of the goodness and the benevolence of God toward other people. When somebody does something to you, we show grace to them, even though they may not show grace to us. What are we showing? We're showing the goodness of God to them, the generosity. So, uh, you know, from 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 the outset of of the church, there have always been um, suspicions concerning money, and we don't like to talk about it. I don't mind talking about it because it's important. It's important for you to understand God's heart and your relationship with God when it comes to that because money represents your sweat. It represents your value. It represents the things that you put value upon. And so we're very careful with our money and that's a good thing. We should be. We should be careful how we spend it, how we use it. Or even how it's abused, but you know all the way from prior to prior Tetzel. I don't know if you're familiar with who prior Tetzel was, but Martin Luther had a run-in with prior Tetzel because what he was doing is that he was he was granting indulgences in exchange for money. In other words, you know you could sin a little bit as long as you paid for it. It's okay; your sins would be absolved. Just bring me a little extra cash, and we'll get that taken care of up for you. So he was doing that. Martin Luther challenged him about it. And, and so, uh, we see those kind of things. We see televangelists. You know, my, my son, my youngest son, used to get so angry. We'd be watching TV and Christian television, and, and, and then they would make an offer. And we will give you such and such for a donation. My son says, well, if it's a donation, why do they want, why do they, you know, why do they want to give you a gift for a donation? Why don't you just ask for a donation and be honest about it? You know, instead of offering a gift in exchange for a donation, what you're doing is you're purchasing something. He said, Dad, that's a purchase. That's not a gift. That's kind of a, a manipulative way of getting. But I understand because they got to stay on the air, too, and I understand that. But, uh, but you see what, You see how scandals arise concerning money and how we spend it, how we raise it, how we manage it. So people are very suspect about money, especially when it comes to the church and for right reason. There's been a lot of abuse, and I don't want to hang around there too much, but what I want to do is take you, and let's see what the Bible has to say about the subject. Do you know that the Bible talks more about money than it does about hell or heaven? The Bible, as a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did in everything else, because he understood one principle. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that we value it's where we put most of our stock. Jesus understood that. So uh, what are the means that God uses for financing the work of the kingdom? Three things, tithe, offering, and sacrifice. We say, well, isn't tithe and offering the same thing? No, I want to help you with that, and, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, we've got to have a right attitude about giving. And Paul pointed to the Macedonian church as an example of those who had the proper attitude about giving. Even though they were having a tough time, they gave out of an an attitude of gratitude toward God for what God had done for them. They wanted to sow. And and Paul pointed to the Macedonian church as an example for other churches to follow in the area of giving. And and we may not experience their circumstances, but we can imitate their attitude toward money. Now, first of all, they gave generously. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5 says... Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in what? Rich generosity. Don't worry about the rain. It's not coming in. Number two, they gave sacrificially. They gave sacrificially. It's one thing to give out of our abundance. It's another thing to give out of our sacrifice. It takes a big heart to give out of our sacrifice. It really doesn't take a whole lot to give out of our abundance. And, um, and and I can say some things about that, but I'll just spare you and we'll just move on. But he says in verse 3, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they didn't they did it of their own free will. Some some give just the minimum, while others give way beyond the tithe to the point of sacrifice. And the Macedonian church set an example of sacrificial giving. Number two, they gave expectantly. And I've got something I want to share with you at the end of the message this morning. Is something that a friend of mine shared with me several years ago. It's a declaration that they make every time that they receive tithe and offerings, And I'll share that with you at the end of the service today. But they gave sacrificially, he says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but more. They gave expectantly. Uh, Second Corinthians nine, six says, Remember, remember this. What does it say? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And y'all look at me, I want you to say this. That's in the Bible. It really is. And sometimes we wonder, is that really in the Bible? Is that what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says about giving. Now, Don Vest didn't say that. Don't just go say, my pastor said. Say, the Bible says that, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So we should expect the blessing of God when we give. Have you ever heard someone say, and it just makes me want to slap somebody sometimes, say, come on, man, get with it. I don't really expect God to do anything when I give. I just give because I want to be obedient to God. That's not true. We are expecting something. If we only give because we think that if we don't give to God, that God's going to curse us and that the wheels are going to fall off of our car, a cat's going to die, and our wife's going to run off or whatever else. If we don't give then we are motivated by the wrong motivation, but we're still motivated by something. We're motivated by doubt and fear and unbelief. But if we expect, when we give expectantly, we're expecting God to do what God said. And it is called the law of sowing and reaping of the law of reciprocity. Now, how many gardeners do we have in here? Now, how many of y'all till up the ground and, and, and go through the trouble of putting rows in the ground and sometimes have to get down on your knees and put seed in the ground or plants in the ground. You do all those things and then walk away expecting nothing. How many do that? Why do you do that? Because you are expecting a harvest, are you not? You're expecting to get something out of what you have put into the ground. You are sowing and you're expecting to reap. The same principle goes in the area of giving. We should expect to receive from God because it is in accordance to his promises. God is, is he's a debtor to no man. He will always take care of us when we take care of the things that God cares about. So they gave expectantly. We should expect the, uh, the blessing of God when we give. And number three, they gave cheerfully. They gave cheerfully. You know, it's amazing sometimes to stand at the front when you're receiving the tithe and offering, look at the faces of people. Everybody's all happy when you say it's time to give. Sometimes, you know, about half the congregation will go. It's like we're mad about something. I mean, that should be the most exciting time in the service, Really? Because we're getting to participate with God. We're getting ready to sow something into the kingdom expecting a return. Now, if we sow begrudgingly, if we sow out of, you know, because we're compelled to give, if we sow because the pastor says to or because the Bible says to and I want to be obedient, if that's the reason that we're doing it, then we're sowing out of the wrong motivation. But if we sow out of a cheerful heart, God loves, and that word is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. He expects us to give with hilarity. We should laugh when it's time to give an offering. You know, we should get so tickled. <laughs> All right, it's time. Yes, sir. We can give now. Praise the Lord. We should give expectantly. We should give cheerfully. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, and read it with me. Each man should give What? What he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Not a fearful giver. Not a tearful giver. But a cheerful giver. Unless you get so excited it just causes you to, you know, to laugh out in tears or whatever. I mean, that's okay. Now, the Macedonians not only gave sacrificially, but they did it so with a smile on their faces. And we should follow their example. Now, in the body of believers, in the church, we have full-time ministers. Those are the, those are the ones that God has called and anointed to do the full-time ministry. And, I, and believe me, it's full-time. Okay? When, I, when I'm not in the office and, and, you know, I'm at home a lot of times, I'm getting phone calls uh, some of you have been in the new member class. You know what I'm talking about. It's nonstop. It's 24 seven. It's it's never. You know, you're never off the clock as a pastor, as as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're doing what God's called you to do, and and uh, you know, I could give you many many examples of being called out of bed at one or two o'clock in the morning to go to the hospital or or whatever, or somebody just needs to talk, or somebody just needs prayer, or whatever. And you don't just say, hey, call me back in the morning. You know, you get up and you go. It's, it's time to do something. And, and sometimes, you know, you just feel compelled to get out of bed and get on your knees and pray for somebody. That happened just this week. I just, you know, like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I just got really restless. and And, and God put something on my heart and I... I just got out of bed and went and got on my knees and just spent some time with the Lord in prayer for some people that God had laid on my heart. And, and, and that happens often. So there's a lot that goes into the, to the ministry when we're talking about ministry. When you think of ministry, don't think of occupation. Think of service. Because that's what the ministry is. It's a service to other people. God puts you in a place where you are giving all your time and your efforts to other people you're, you that's what you're that's what you exist for and and to the ministry so how how should pastors and other full-time ministers be supported some some religious traditions require ministers to take an an oath of poverty and and I think sometimes that that we want to help with that you know not in this church for sure but I've been in situations where you almost feel like that God has given us a double-edged sword where we trust God to keep them humble while we'll keep them poor. You know what I'm saying? God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. But, but that's not the way that it's supposed to be. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's to be just the contrary. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, he says, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, Aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we never use this right. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So from the from the priests and the levites in the Old Testament to the pastors and the apostles and the apostles in the New Testament, God's ministers were supported through what? Tithes and offerings. And and some some churches, you know, pastors have to work and I understand that. You know, my first 11 years in the ministry, I worked a, I worked a, a, I was bivocational. and and worked full-time, and then worked full-time in the ministry, because when you weren't working on your job to support your family, when you got home, immediately, things began to happen at home, and a lot of times, it meant you didn't go home. You come home, and you go, and you do ministry, and then, you know, you start the next day all over again, and that's just the way that it worked, and so I'm not complaining, believe me. I'm just stating facts, so Pastors should get paid by the, by the ministry. I won't de- delve too much into that because last week we covered that subject pretty well. Now, let's talk about the tithe. What is the tithe? Some people believe that tithing is an Old Testament principle. And I would beg to differ because we can look at a lot of things and say, well, that's an Old Testament principle and we shouldn't do that maybe. I mean, if we talk about, you know, don't steal, that's an Old Testament principle, does that carry over into the New Testament? Don't murder. Does that carry over into the New Testament? As a matter of fact, when we talk about adultery, does that carry over into the New Testament? Jesus even raised the bar even higher when he talked about adultery and murder. He said that if we in our heart have thoughts of murder toward our brother, then we in fact have killed him in our heart. If we look upon a woman or if a woman looks upon a man to lust after them, what have we done already? We've committed adultery in our heart. So what he was saying is all these things are matters of the heart. That's really what it gets down to. So tithing is, is not a law anymore. It's a matter of the heart and understanding that this is how the ministry is supported. So so let me, let me just move on there. So what is tithe? Tithe means... Tenth, that's what it means. It's the tenth, the tenth, the first fruit of all of our labors, the tenth. And so that should be a uh, 10% of our income. The tenth belongs to God. And if we don't give it to him, we're robbing him. And subsequent, subsequent, uh, consequently, we will be under the curse. How do I know that? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Now, let me ask you this. Does God know everything? So it's impossible to steal from him, isn't it? So what's the difference between stealing and robbing? Stealing would be if I snuck up behind Tom and somehow pulled his wallet out of his pocket and walked away with it. I would be stealing. But if I were to rob him, I would come up and I'd say, stick him up give me all your money. I got a 357 Magnum under here and I'm not afraid to use it. And Tom would say, here. But I would be robbing him right under his eyes. And that's what we do when we withhold the tithes from God. We are robbing him right under his eyes, God knowing everything about us. We rob God. And Malachi asked the question, how will a man rob God? But you ask, how can we rob you and he says, because you are robbing me. How so? With the tithe and the offering. That's how. So tithe is the first tith, not the leftover amount. This would include before tax and then the deductible income. So tithing puts God first in our finances. So if we look at what we make and we say, well, I'm going to give after the government's taken theirs. Is that first fruits? Who gets the first fruits then? The government. The government. The government gets the first fruits, not God. So we tithe off of the gross amount, not the net amount. So we tithe off of that. That's the tenth that belongs to God. So and and tithing puts God first in our finances. Do we want to put the government first or God first? Who do we trust the most? Okay. Second Chronicles chapter three or 31 verse five, it says, as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of the grain, new wine, oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. So what should we tithe on? Everything. So God expects the whole tithe. In other words, we're to tithe the whole amount and not just the part Remember in Acts chapter 5, there were a couple people who got in serious trouble because they sold a piece of land, and they brought it, and they lied to the apostles. And they said, we gave you all that came off of it. We gave you all the proceeds from the sale of it. And and Peter says, how have you dared to reason in your heart that you could lie against the Holy Spirit? So we can't lie against the Holy Spirit. And what happened to them? What I believe his name was Ananias and his wife's name was Sapphira. Y'all remember that story? What happened to them? I mean, it, it cost them big. They'd been better off to give it all, wouldn't they? But they didn't. They just gave a part and they withheld from God. I'm not saying that God's going to just wipe you out because you don't do that. But I will say this, that if we're not obedient to God and if we're not obedient in those areas, we'll never experience the blessings that God has for us. We are definitely under a curse when we don't when we're not obedient to the father, God can do more with the 90% that you trust him with than if you withheld it all thinking that I can handle this better than God can. What we do in essence is we trust God. We release the 10th to him. He takes care of everything else. My wife and I have did what the Bible said to do and in Malachi chapter nine. He says, prove me in this. And so my wife and I have done that. We have learned the principle of sowing and reaping in not withholding from God, but giving God the tithe, understanding that he knows how to take care of us. And he has never failed us. Never, ever. There were times when we really had to prove him. There were times when we wanted to withhold. There were times that we wanted to keep back, but we didn't. We trusted God and God has always come through for us. So praise the Lord for that. So I'm going to move on. God expects the whole tithe. Blah, blah, blah. Some have argued that the tithe was only required under the Old Testament law. However, Jesus demonstrated an understanding of the tithe in the New Testament. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe the tenth of your spices, mint, dull, and common, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So what God is saying, you know, tithe is the catch-all. In other words, you should be obedient in all the other things that I've called you to be obedient to, but in that area, don't falter either. So Jesus actually commended them because of their obedience for the tithe, but he, he, he uh, rebuked them because of their other practices. So let's, uh, let's, let's uh, look at something else here. Jesus never lowered the, the moral standards, but he always raised them. We already talked about that. And here's, here's an example of the heart where Jesus looked at someone in Luke chapter 21. I happened to read that this morning. It was in my, my Bible study. And, and there was a widow. And there were all these people at the temple. And they were all bringing their tithe and their offerings. And, and so what they would do, they would line up and all the rich people would parade through first. They would put in all of their tithe, and they would, you know, they would do it so that everybody else could see what they were doing. And this little widow comes, and and she puts in two mites, which is two little, I mean, when we talk of a mite, it's like two little small copper coins, which is all she had to live on. She put everything she had into the offering. And so Jesus is looking at this, he's observing this, and he he says, now, this little widow woman has put in more than all of you. And they all started to laugh. How how could that be? She only put in two small coins. And Jesus said, Because you gave out of your surplus. She gave out of her need. She gave everything that she had. She gave her whole heart to God in her response to giving. So he said, She gave more than any any of you. He said, I tell you the truth. This poor woman has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And This is found in Luke 21, 1 through 4, if you want to look it up and study it. So our giving is an indicator of what? Our spiritual condition. Our giving is an indicator of our spiritual condition. And and we think sometimes that we are a very spiritual person, but if we don't have it right in that area... We just don't have it right with God. Martin Luther said, a man is saved twice. First, he's saved when he gives his heart to God. Then he's saved when he really saved, when he gives his money to God. We're saved when we really give it to him because we trust God in everything that we do. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That applies in the area of giving, too, because when we learn to trust the Lord above everything else, when we trust Him with all of our heart and we don't lean into our own understanding because so often our understanding gets in our way, we don't understand how we're going to make it if we tithe because we look at our bills and we see that our, our, our outgo is exceeding our income. And we wonder how in the world we're going to make it, especially if I give the 10th to the, to God. And, and we don't ever say give it to God. We say give it to who? To the church. How am I going to do this if I give it to the church? Not realizing when we give it, when you release it, we're giving it to God. The Bible says in the book of Acts that, that the people brought their, their gifts and their, their offerings and they laid them at the feet of the apostles. They released it to God there. And so when we bring the tithing offering into the storehouse, we're releasing it to God. It's no longer ours. It's not the pastor's. It's not the leaders of the church. It's not the denomination. It belongs to God. Now, whatever the pastors and the leaders do with it, they're responsible with from there. But we released it. So lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll show you what to do. Have you ever had God to show you what to do in those areas when you have released the tithe to Him and God said, just wait, you're getting ready for a miracle. You have just set yourself up. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? I've seen it work time and time again when we have been obedient to God even though we didn't have it to give and God says to give something. My wife is famous for that. She'll give stuff away and I'm like, you know, she has more faith than I do in those areas. I'm like, honey. But I've learned that when she says, we need to give this, I, I'm, I'm already getting it out because I know that God is speaking to her, and so we give it. And then we turn around, and and whatever the need is, God takes care of the need, and then some. Because God always gives more than we're able to receive. Now, that's what the Bible says in the book of Malachi, isn't it? God says, bring the whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe. In other words, we are to tithe the whole amount, not just a part. Bring the whole tithe. Say this with me. Put, put it up there. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Okay. She's still hanging on the last thing. So here we go. Malachi 3.10. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there already. Or I can just read it to you. How about that? He says, Malachi says, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say the whole tithe. Into where? Okay, this is the storehouse. This is where you receive your spiritual food. This is where you you come and you you worship God. This is where you come and, and, and God speaks to you most of the time. So it says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And what does he say then? He says, test me in this. You want to test God? This is the only area where we're ever told to test God. Remember, Jesus said, you don't put God to the test. He told the devil that, didn't he? But here he's telling us to test the Lord in this. And what did he say would happen? And see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Wow put him to the test. I dare you. I dare you. Many have. And I've had testimony after testimony after testimony of those who have trusted the Lord in this area, and they've seen God open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that they couldn't contain. And it takes a huge step of faith because, you know, we live in the reality of now, don't we? We, we respond to the things that we see and and smell, and taste, and touch, and all of those things. We respond to the senses. And when we do that, are we really living spiritually? No, we're living soulfully. But when we do it spiritually, we're putting God to the test. We're trusting Him because we're in another realm altogether. We realize that there's a God in heaven who cares about us, who loves us, and we're not leaning to our own understanding, but we're trusting God in everything that we have and everything that we are. And then God responds to faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, a confident expectation, the evidence of things not seen. We can't see how God's going to do it. We don't know how he's going to do it. But we know that he's God. He's able. He's able. I mean, he spoke this terra firma into existence just with the words of his mouth. Is he not able... To meet all of our needs and exceed all that we could ever imagine or think or ask for. Prove Him. Test Him. I dare you. Okay? All right. Now, where were we? I'll get to preaching and i just forget where I'm at sometimes. Verse 10. Okay. (laughs) I'll talk about the curse, you know. If we don't do these things, he says, under the curse of the law, and if we want to operate under the law of the natural, then that's what happens. If we, don't, if we choose not to operate in the law of the spiritual, we get caught up in the law of the natural. And the law of the natural is that if we are not obedient to God, if we try to do it ourselves, we're operating in our own strength, and we always get ourselves in trouble, don't we? When we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, we're operating in the, in the law of the spiritual. So, here we go. Uh, let me just look at one other thing here. Our giving is an indicator of our spiritual condition. The things that we put money toward are things we consider important. How we spend our income tells volumes about our heart and our priorities. Ultimately, the things we think are critical on earth are often things that will decay. You know, sometimes we cut our giving down so that we can put a new sunroof on the house or we can get a new car or we have to take one of our three dogs to the vet or we want to change their food and get them something a little more nutritious. So we take that where we have to take it somewhere. But we don't want to take it out of our TV, you know, direct TV. We don't want to take it out of our phone. God forbid that we didn't have our our iPhones and all the pleasures and things that they offer us or or maybe we had a trip plan. We certainly don't want to take it out of that. So where do we take it? Most of the time it's out of the tithe. And who are we robbing when we do that? We're robbing God, but we're also robbing someone else. You know who else we're robbing? Ourselves. Because we're shutting off the blessings. And when we do that, we put ourselves under a curse. We put ourselves under a curse. Because... He that sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And then we wonder why God is not meeting our needs. I heard someone say one time, you know, I tried tithing for three months and it didn't work. But that's not how it works. Because if we stop sowing, we stop reaping. Sometimes we've already eaten long before we've ever sowed. We sowed, we've eaten all of our seed. So giving as an indicator of our spiritual condition. Jesus said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, you know, the things that we have on Earth that we value. I just traded my pickup truck in for another car, and the reason I did is because I just got tired of driving a pickup truck. <laughs> but I no longer needed it, and the reason I bought it was so I could go to Hatteras Island and fish on the beach, but they started charging them too cheap to pay. <laughs> so I just sold the pickup truck and got something that's a little more easy to ride. But when I first got that truck, it was, it was, you know, it looked, it looked like a brand new truck. I was so excited. And I take it to the post office, and I'm in the post office parking lot. And I'm backing up and I'm being careful. I'm looking around and I'm watching and I'm just easing out. And all of a sudden I'm looking in this direction. And I feel this boom. And I look, and this woman had backed out and smashed right into my the side of my truck. I'm thinking, oh great. You know, you you do everything you can to protect the things that you got. You want to keep them new, you want to keep them looking good. Well, then I took it and got it fixed. It wasn't long after that. I went back to the post office, and so I thought I'm not gonna park on this side of the post office. (laughs) So we ran to the other side of the post office and parked over there. Same thing, I come out and I get in my truck and I start backing up and I'm looking and I'm watching. And and so I start to back up, and all of a sudden, wham, somebody hits me right in the rear end. And I look up, and there's a woman, and someone else was standing there. She said, that woman wasn't paying one bit of attention when she hit you. She was talking on her phone and wasn't watching where she was going. But because I was backing up and she was going forward, guess who got the responsibility of it? The insurance always says, the insurance companies say, hey, when you're backing up and they're going forward, you're responsible. doesn't matter whether they come up and hit you in the behind or not. So what I'm saying is that truck, as much as I liked it, cost me. Every time I turn around, the insurance goes up. The value of the truck goes down. All of these things that we treasure and we value don't hold their value. They corrupt and they are destroyed and they're stolen from us. I mean, we had even gone away one time. We come back and I had this really nice um, trailer hitch on the back, and somebody borrowed it. I mean, one of the reasons I bought my truck was so I could pull our trailer that we had all of our equipment in from my house to the to the college when we were meeting there. So I I was late one morning. I go out and I get in my truck and I back up and I get out and I go out and I'm starting to hook up and I look down and my trailer hitch is gone. So I had to scramble that morning and run to AutoZone and get another trailer hitch and everything. Else. Somebody just borrowed my trailer hitch, never brought it back. You know what? You know, they, I think some people call that stealing. I'd I'd rather say borrowing. <laughs> But that's what happens. But giving is an indicator of our heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if the things on this earth are the things that we treasure, that's where our heart lies. If we have a hard time giving to God, it's because we have a heart condition. But when we learn to release those things to God and trust Him, then we, we can relax because God's gonna take care of the things that we have need of. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. In the same passage in verse 33, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things that you have need of shall be added unto you. So what that's saying is, if you will seek the Lord with all your heart, If you'll put him first, if you'll make him the king and the Lord of your life, if you will do the things that he tells us to do in his word, you don't have to worry about life. God's going to take care of it. Amen? God will bless you in so many ways that you can't even imagine. He'll take care of you. He's just that good. Now, I told you before that there was a declaration that a friend had shared with me. And he said when he started making this declaration in his church, people got it they began to understand why they gave and and so i want i want you to put this we we actually said this for a while but it almost became mechanical and i hate when things become mechanical you know what i'm saying it's kind of like you know when you, when you say i love you through gritted teeth <laughs> i love you i love you too and we don't really mean it you know what i'm saying but When we understand why we're giving, when we are believing in something and we're doing something and we do it with purpose, it makes so much more sense as we're doing it. Now, I want you to say this with me. As I give, I believe that the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply and increase the fruit of whatever I sow today. That giving is an act of worship to be done willingly, cheerfully, and generously. That the Lord will cause His blessings to come upon me and overtake me as the windows of heaven are open. Therefore, I will honor the Lord with the first fruits of all my increase. So shall my barns be filled with plenty, and my presses shall burst out with new wine. See, that's what we want, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? Well, then that's the reason for giving, not because you're compelled to, not because someone says to, not because someone says, okay, would the ushers come forth now, and and we'll wait upon you. We're going to take the offering. No, we don't take offerings. We receive what you willingly give because we want you to give out of a heart toward God. Giving should be done purposefully. Why? Because we are sowing into the kingdom of God, understanding that whatever we sow to the Lord, we're going to receive back from him. We give it in faith. Everything should be done with faith because James says anything that's not of faith is sin. Everything that's not of faith is sin. So when we give, we give to the Lord in faith, believing that God's going to take care of our need. It makes it so much easier to release that check. As a matter of fact, it makes it so much more easy to understand that as we give offerings, and, and that's one thing I want to I just bring this. One more thing i am done. The tithe, the tenth, belongs to God. The offering is what is above that. You see, that's what we offer to the Lord. I mean, if we give Him something that already belongs to Him, are we really giving anything? No. Well, really, it all belongs to God, right? But when we give out of our need and in a heart response to God and we give to God and when we give to others, you know, God is going to bless that exponentially back to you, whatever you sow. But sow it in faith. Don't sow it out of compulsion. And we don't want to manipulate anybody into giving anything. I, don't, I hate those tactics of, of manipulation. Manipulation. But I just want to give you the word and let you understand that this is between you and God. And ultimately, when you give and when you tithe, it's not a matter of, am I looking over your shoulder? Am I trying to make sure that you do these things? No. But God certainly is looking at your heart and checking the response of your heart toward him. And he'll help you in it. He'll help you. He will give you opportunity after opportunity to give. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm done. Aren't you glad? No. (laughs) I, I don't feel bad about talking about this because I want you to be blessed. And I want you to understand that this is God's economy. This is the way that God works. And I want you to understand that when you sow into the kingdom of God, you should expect something back. You should expect God to take care of all your needs. And you should expect your your barns to be filled with plenty and your vats to overflow with new wine. Praise God. So, when you give, give in that way. As I give, I believe. Give it in faith. Do it in faith. Amen? First, it's got to be your heart, though. And I just want to pray with you today before we leave. And... And before we're dismissed, I know some, for some of us, this is, this is difficult. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you haven't really understood the principles of reciprocity, the law of sowing and reaping, and understanding what God is trying to do in your heart, that God's not trying to take something from you. God is trying to give something to you, because as we learn to cooperate with him, We learn really truly what Romans 8, 28 is all about, which says that he's able to make what? He said he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose, his purpose. So when we do it purposefully, we do it in harmony with God and to the will of God, understanding that that God knows best. And and, and he wants you to everything to be done in faith. That's what pleases God. As a matter of fact, without faith, it's impossible to please him, isn't it? That's what he said. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a, thank you, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God works on the reward system. When we diligently seek him, he rewards us. our seeking and our understanding and our heart after him. And I want to pray that God will help you with that because I know for some of us this is is a stumbling block in our lives and, and we've never really gotten the victory over it. And I wish we had time this morning because I would open up for testimony and I'm sure we could hear testimony after testimony of how God has blessed and enriched your lives through giving. And I know this because I know you. I know a lot of the people here. Some I don't as well as others, but I know a lot of people that God has blessed and I've seen the blessing of God on their life because they've learned the principles of sowing and reaping and giving to God. But I want to pray for you and, and you know, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because this is really between you and God. But just where you're sitting today, I, I, I want to pray for you that God will give you a scriptural understanding of what I'm talking about today and that the Holy Spirit will prompt you and, and enable you to begin to, to release those things to Him. And sometimes it's very difficult for us. It's just like praying for somebody to be healed. For many of us, that's hard because we've never done it before. And, and, and we wonder, is this really going to work? If I pray for them, are they truly going to be healed? Well, if we do it in faith, believing, and if we just trust God with it and allow Him to do the rest, yes, we will absolutely see people healed. In the same way, if we trust God in these areas, we will absolutely see God at work. So will you just pray with me today? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray over your people, Lord, because I know, God, you want your church to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to others just as you blessed Abraham. And you said, Lord God, that that, that Jesus himself became a curse for us because cursed is he that hangeth upon a tree so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. And we thank you, Lord, that the blessings of Abraham was when he learned what it meant to walk with you and to walk in harmony with you and be a friend of yours. And he was the very one, Lord, who first got a hold of tithing and giving. Even before the law, it was in his heart to give. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And I pray, Lord, that you would get a hold of our hearts today, Lord, first of all. God, that it would be in our heart to be obedient to you in the area of giving. Lord, that we would do it cheerfully. That we would do it generously. That we would do it, Lord God, out of obedience to you and obedience to your word. And Father, that all the hindrances to it would be taken away. And I pray, Lord God, as we release it, Father, that we would learn to trust to just give it to you and allow you, Father, as we have planted it and sowed it into good soil, that it's going to bring back a bountiful harvest. So much, Lord, that we won't even have room enough to contain it. That's okay, Father, we can always give it away. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for every person here today, God, that the eyes of our heart would be open, that our ears of understanding would be open, that we could get this, that it would bring blessing to our lives, and that, Lord, we could be a blessing to others in response. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I just feel like the Lord has just set some people free today, especially in that area. It's a tough thing if we've never done it before. It's kind of like climbing up on a high dive. Anybody ever been up on a high dive? We used to be doing, you know, doing somersaults off of the lower one. But now all of a sudden we want to climb up on the tall one. And it's scary at first to go out. You know, we're kind of like, I hate heights. Even if there is water underneath me, I hate heights. And I've done that before, and I, I know what it's like. But you do it because you want to experience the thrill of it. I encourage you to experience the thrill of giving, to learn, because sooner or later you're going to be doing somersaults off the high dive. You're going to be giving everywhere you turn because you realize you can't outgive God. The more you give, the more you reap. It's just the way it works. God puts it in our heart. And and who does God love most? He loves me, but he loves a cheerful giver. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.